0: Welcome to the High Performance CEO Podcast. This show is made with one purpose, to help you create a self-driven and engaged high performance organization, where we deliver you proven strategies and expert interviews on how to drive significant profit growth, create a stress-free ownership culture, and give you the time freedom you always wanted from your business. And now, here's your host, highly sought after business growth strategist and executive coach, Patrick Rogers.
1: This is Patrick Rogers. and today we have the privilege to have Nathan Johnson on the show and Nathan is the CEO of Mason Bloom. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks, Patrick. Happy to be here. Awesome. Happy to have you, man. So Nathan lives in Denver with his wife and family. He has a bachelor in chemical engineering from University of Boulder and MBA from Pepperdine, both amazing schools. He's an experienced entrepreneur, operations specialist with demonstrated multi-industry leadership in startups to Fortune five Fortune 100 companies. Excuse me. He's been featured business leader with profiles in BizBash, Inc.com, San Francisco Chronicle, WWD, Fashion Magazine, Marie Claire, and Huffington Post. And Nathan co-founded Mason Bloom. We're going to get into it, but it's a uh, CBD and THC beverage company in 2019. And they're starting to gain some real commercial traction. So, uh, Nathan, before we dive into, you know, your journey and and Mason Bloom, what's one interesting fact that not many people know about you?
0: So, that's a great icebreaker. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a couple of them. One, um, and I'll keep it short. I think one is... Um, I played the piano for 14 years. Um, okay. A lot of people know that, especially this this time in my life where um, it was something I did as a young kid all the way up into college, actually. And so uh, my oh. wife and I, our first house had a baby grand. I unfortunately oh, wow. stopped playing a long time ago, but but just getting into the music industry, learning how to read music. Um, it was even really before computer classes were starting to be uh-huh. taught as well so just the you know being able to move your fingers freely on the the piano keys uh-huh. translated uh-huh. really well to typing emails fast
1: <laughs> okay very cool yeah. <laughs> So, are, how good are you are, are you um like how good are you um well 14 years good um <laughs> that's yeah i mean that means um, a lot i think yeah, yeah. I, I was a
0: concert pianist you know i got to oh shit piano, all right music and start playing um usually people when they hear that are like what What? what's your favorite song what did you really like to play um just I, I was a big speed person so I really liked Rock Rachmaninoff Flight of the Bumblebee that ended up kind of being my specialty so played in a, a wow. couple of concert halls nothing too too crazy okay. but yeah right. did, right.
1: <laughs> did you did you serenade your wife <laughs> Um, you know,
0: we did the traditional, you know, Christmas uh Christmas songs here and there, but uh-huh. she she was on the tail end of my piano journey, I'll just okay. say. I, right. I didn't continue right. too much into adult life.
1: Right on, man. <laughs> I I I think it's interesting too when you find people um who are engineers on one side, you know, really right right-brained, right? And then creative enough to do something like art or music, especially piano. And it's very rare that you find people that I think have the ability to do both. And, and, and you obviously have that. I think it's just a, it's a great balance uh, in, in life. No, I appreciate that, Patrick. And, you know, I've listened to your
0: podcast here. I specifically pulled up the one with Carrie and Hippo and oh and yeah, you, you like to play guitar and sing. So I do. Maybe you're gonna serenade us at one at one point in these podcasts.
1: (laughs) I'll come out to Denver and we'll do some jam. How about that? We'll jam. Awesome, (laughs) cool, man. So, so tell us tell us about your journey and tell tell us about Mason Bloom. What 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 are you guys doing? Well, you know, I think the
0: the you know maybe place to start is the second little known fact about me, which is Mm. I've been an entrepreneur since I was a, a really young kid. So. Um, I started working in, I I would say greater professional environments when I was 14, I started with a landscaping company. Um, I grew up in the country in Minnesota and my mom walked down the street to a landscaping company and said, you're going to hire my son. And that's kind of how I really got started. Um, but you know, my, my love of entrepreneurship really grew from there. So, um, you know, I, I stayed working with my hands, you know, over time I've, I've run probably, Eight to ten different companies in a variety of different wow. industries. Most in construction, blue collar. Um, you, you know, you made a couple of references to the chemical engineering degree. So I've worked in petroleum. I've worked for right, environmental right. engineering, um, and then I, you know, I've worked in tech at HP, and I've also worked in fashion. Believe it or not. So, right. um, you know, how I ended up getting into um, into cannabis and starting Maison Bloom is through Pepperdine. Um, okay. I got my BA when I was working in Southern California right. and met a gentleman who is now my co-founder named Jake Wall. Uh-huh. And he, um, he and I really sat down and thought about entrepreneurship, thought about really the loves of creativeness yeah. and what we had. We come from entrepreneurship in kind of two different angles. One is I'm the engineering, the logistics, the methodical, let's get right. this, That's how right, you run right, a business, right. <laughs> uh, very tactical and practical Um, Jake is a creative and uh, really had he was coming back from like an eat, pray, love moment, Mm -hmm. uh, learning how to build custom suits abroad. And we started uh, a fashion company, which was called Jake in San Francisco. Okay, and we we did that for the better part of about 10 years. Yeah, Um, we had a thirty five hundred square foot showroom downtown San Francisco. You're a pretty good size then yeah we um you know we we grew um quite a bit and you know long story short at the end of the day decided to leave uh the fashion industry which was was grueling but fun at the same time and and thankfully did because that was right before the pandemic and during the pandemic times we you know we were both um, in different phases of life saw an opportunity in cannabis and so Maison Bloom is essentially born um you know we were
1: Go ahead. So, so back to so to the fashion industry, like what what it was grueling yet fun, but it sounds like I mean you guys were pretty big. It was pretty profitable. What or maybe it was profitable? I don't know. Maybe not. What what really drove you away from it?
0: Um, a couple of things. You know, one, um, we were at the point where we were we needed to raise capital to really grow. You know, fashion okay. is one of those industries where, you know, unless there's kind of two two schools of thought. One is, you know, if you create inexpensive clothing, you blast out there with a ton of marketing and advertisement, that's how you grow the business. We were on the other side of that, which is really, you know, high fashion. That's your, that is your Tom Browns, your Tom Fords. And that takes a lot of capital to really get going. Um, and we'd been doing it for about seven, eight years and just decided, you know, it was no longer a path that we wanted to actively pursue just kind
1: of lost the passion a bit. Yeah.
0: There, we, we built what we wanted to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. We really proved ourselves in the industry. We had coverage cross country. Um, we were in some fashion events in New York, same thing with LA and San Francisco. And, you know, at the end of the day, it just wasn't something that we really wanted to actively pursue and grow at the rate that we had started. So it was, it was a good time to exit.
1: And I think that's, that's very powerful because, um, there's some people that, that don't really listen to their heart and listen to the passion and, and they're, they're chasing something that they originally set out to do. And, and even though it's, it's doesn't align with their core chakras or whatever you want to call it, they're still, you know, just gung ho going for it. So I, I really acknowledge it and, uh, you know, that you were able to follow your guys's passion.
0: No, I appreciate that. And you know, that that's actually a a perfect segue into what Maison Bloom has become because Mm. what ended up happening when we decided to exit and sell off the company. Um, that was the fashion company. Jake went over to the Michael Mina Group. He was he's the former CMO of the Michael Mina Group in San Francisco. I went over and I worked for yeah. operations in the real estate division at a, at Hewlett Packard. Uh-huh. And you know, at at the end of the day, we were both kind of back in corporate America. We were both back right. in bureaucracy, um, in company in bigger company cultures. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a negative statement. But, you know, when it when it came full circle after a couple of years, it was, hey, we want to go out there and we want to solve our own problems. Right. We've identified yeah. a market gap in something that we feel passionate about. Again, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was cannabis beverage specifically. So we got back and we got the band back together. There's three co-founders at Maison Bloom and we started again um, in what has now become you know, our, cannab- our cannabis infused beverage company.
1: Yeah, very cool. So, uh, you know, before you and I talked, man, I I didn't even know that this was a thing, right? Um, And, and so tell, you know, I don't know, probably many, most of the audience d- doesn't know about this either. So, so tell us a little bit more. Now you, you're doing this in California, uh, the first, right. first uh, commercial release and, and direction. T- tell us more about... Um, what the opportunity is here, what, you know, what's going on in this marketplace and, and uh, you know, are there a lot of other people in the industry, you know, just bring us up to speed here.
0: Absolutely. That's a great question. And um, your, your overview is actually correct. You know, a lot of people, um, mainstream consumers really don't know a lot about the cannabis industry. It's one of the things that I think truly does plague um, the industry as a whole, um, right. it is becoming much more familiar to the everyday consumer. You know, 70 plus percent of Americans believe that cannabis should actually be legal, which is why you start to see legislation popping up more and more for right, um, right. medicinal use or recreational use in various markets. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, specifically in California, um, you know, beverage is a, a really blossoming industry. So it is the largest cannabis market in the world. It's expected to California be- is? California is. It is expected Uh to be the largest cannabis market in the world for the foreseeable future, Um, and beverage is a very small category of that. So, what's really interesting about it is, in most conversations, people know and are are socially acceptable to have a an alcoholic beverage, right? People know there's a beverage in hand. You're used to mixing it. You know, most people grew up at the wrong time with with alcohol, Uh and you know, it's a (laughs) corporation in their daily life. But cannabis has really followed suit in the sense of a much more quiet, um, infused beverage. So Mm. a lot of people, when they think about cannabis, think about two things. It's either the flour, Mm. uh, which a lot of people do consume, or it is an edible. And everybody has one that's had the bad edible experience of like, I took a bite and I was on the floor. Beverage is a little bit of a different beast because you can actually take cannabis, you can incorporate it into a beverage. It can be done delicious. It can be done with something that is truly craveable, which is what we have created at Maison Bloom. Very cool. And it's done in a way where you have um, you have a variety of cannabinoids in the beverage itself. Yeah. It's no dose, So it's just, it is controlled consumption and it is uh-huh. something which is really akin to having... Uh, a cocktail or, you know, a beer. And so it doesn't have to be over the top. We're not looking to get people stoned. We are looking to have an alcohol replacement for people that are moving away from that alcohol, um, alcohol in their daily lives, Um, have a nice alternative.
1: Yeah, like, like almost like a social uh, drinking thing versus that, that stoned
0: and for us you know one of the the value things that we bring with Maison Bloom is that social experience you know we are a brand and a product hitting the market simultaneously um previously you know i think i think beverage has gotten a bad rap where it's been People, people have launched products that don't really taste great. And that's right. a tough for, for oh, me okay. consumers okay. who are looking at getting into the industry. Uh-huh. Um, but we've been able to really craft with our partners a single strain, single barrel beverage um, that basically you can see what strain is being grown. Um, we work with a partner called Sonoma Hills Farm in the Emerald Triangle of California. They grow a. That's where the
1: best weed comes from, I've heard. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You know that, Uh,
0: and you can actually trace that strain directly into our beverages, and so we actually use the strain itself and build the recipe around that, Um, and that's one of the the really true um, delicious things that we deliver to the consumer. And again, it is that social experience. So you can have a beverage at the pool. You can have one when you're out at the golf course. You can have one, you know, at dinner with your friends. And it really helps destigmatize what cannabis typically mm. resonates for the mainstream consumer.
1: Yeah. I mean, so so I grew up very, like, very goody two-shoe, right? I, I I think the first time I ever did, did any weed was like 37, going through my divorce And just here recently, starting, you know, as we get older, especially like, like the hangovers that Mm -hmm. it's just, it's not, it's not a good time. It's not a good time. It takes a day or two to recover from it. And, and that's not even really getting that, uh, you know, that drunk, right? So, so the edibles or this concept of, of THC and CBD in the beverage is so alluring for me, uh, and I'm sure it's going to be for so many people, um, of, the CBD actually restoring your body. And then the THC, you're not having that hangover. You're not having these day after effects, but how do you like, I, I feel like one of the biggest challenges with this is going to be educating the marketplace or educating people that are historically have that, you know, that stamina around or the thought process of, of even though it's pretty much legalized, right. It's still like bad, right. It's, it's, you yeah. shouldn't do this. We grow up with that. Um, or do you do you think that's a that's a a challenge for you at R, or are those people you're pretty much not targeting them anyways?
0: Um, that's a fantastic question. You know, for for me. Personally, and for us as a brand, it is a challenge and it's one that we actually really welcome. It, it is something truly that I believe every cannabis company, big or small, faces. Sure. Because again, it is the it is the culture and the subculture of what cannabis was historically and how we have evolved as people over time. And now that that legalization is becoming much more of a thing. I mean, the federal government is even touching on it now. Um, in a number of different areas, it's popping up again in individual state markets, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, people that haven't consumed or haven't haven't consumed for a while yourself included, you know, starting at 37, you you have to kind of dip your toe into the pool, right. Um, and cannabis doesn't have to be scary, it doesn't have to be over the top, but right, right. We're so used to the social experience of what alcohol is because it has been ingrained in our life for so long. Cannabis can actually be that same thing if it's done the right way. And again, using the silly uh, using the silly story of you know I I took a bite of an edible and it put me on the floor. Well, that was <laughs> that was before. There was a lot of professionalism, right? Ability and, and yeah. operations within within the industry. It is it is yeah. for a reason. Yeah. Um. And but that's also why we believe in low dose. Um. Mm. This is my wife as an example. You know, she doesn't ever consume cannabis, but she loves Maison Blue beverages. She'll have a half of a bottle, which uh-huh. is about just over a milligram for us, milligram and a half. And that's enough for her. Right. Again, having like a glass of wine, she controls it. It is that social experience. She can do it in front of the kids at dinner if she really wants to, um, you know, and it's much more comfortable um, for her in that approach. And so that's why we think education is a bigger part of it to say it's not really scary if it's done in the
1: right way. So so in California, you sell your product at dispensaries, right? That's where they uh, pick them up. Do you think it's ever going to be sold anywhere else that, you know, in beverages, in well, grocery stores, maybe you think every that will ever come and, and then you also uh, said something about that they may even have like, the ability to sell this someday at at bars specifically for uh, CBD products.
0: Absolutely. So. For for those not familiar with the cannabis industry, um, where it is recreational medicinally legal, you have, at least in California, you need to have a specific license to be able to sell that. There's several different nuances, but at the end of the day, it has to be sold through a dispensary, whether that is online or that is a retail, physical brick and mortar retail location. Um, That is how you get the product out in the world today. One of the things that we are actively participating in um, and really, what we want to see come to fruition is the ability for people to be able to purchase these beverages um, and enjoy them on premise. So, simple, similarly to where you, you, what you would do with a, with a beer or a glass of wine at a bar, right. Right. Uh, there are things called consumption lounges, which are popping up all over California as well as other state markets, where you can purchase something at the dispensary and then you can consume it on site. Right. Okay. So they already have that then they already
1: have these uh, consumption lounges.
0: Some. some. The, it's a very small market. It is okay. growing in popularity, but the idea is, you know, if an industry is going to grow, you have to be able to take people from outside the industry and bring them in. Right. It's
1: absolutely. Right.
0: Um, and so the approach is, you know, you, you want a social experience. You may not want to go home and just consume a cannabis product by yourself at your house or take right. it somewhere. just want to do it then because you're enjoying the sunshine outside on a patio right um so consumption lounges are popping up it is becoming more popular with that also gets the attention of the hospitality industry and where we are really focusing a lot of our efforts is how do we break into the hospitality industry how do we get this so patrick when you know he's in california goes out to a restaurant and in the na section there's a Maison Bloom on the menu, and that's what you're going to choose for your beverage of choice when you're having a meal. Um, I don't think you're going to get to the greater, um, you know, Targets, BevMo's, uh, you know, Trader Joe's locations for quite some time, despite how much people are pushing for that and really believe in it. I do think it'll get there. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. Um, but the consumption lounges and specific locations for
1: hospitality, I do think are coming in the near future. When do you think it'll be in those uh, hospitality locations?
0: Um, consumption lounges, we're we're already selling into a yeah. couple right now, uh, both in L.A. and San Francisco. Um, I think the hospitality probably towards the end of twenty twenty three, maybe early twenty twenty. Okay,
1: so not too um, far out then. Yeah, wow,
0: not too far out. There's a there's a lot of complexities behind that, um, but again, you know, this is how you get the industry to grow, specifically one that. Um, hasn't gotten a lot of positive attention uh, yeah, over the yeah. course of the last decade. And, you know, I think it is just the more you can educate, the more you yeah. can familiarize people with the products and what they can actually do, um, you know, to you for the betterment. Um, you know, I think that's really where this industry is going to flourish is once once you're at that tipping point and start to get people really buying in. Um, you may remember the, the Sober Cali movement that um, hit, uh, it was pretty popular. I think Demi Lovato was was the voice of it probably like four or five years ago. Okay. Um, you know, that got a lot of people's attention for cannabis. But again, right. it's just the unfamiliarity. It's that new territory. But once people really do dive in and say, hey, cannabis beverage can actually be a nice replacement for alcohol. I don't enjoy the hangovers. I'm not really interested in right. Right. Um, It's a viable opportunity for a lot
1: of people. Very cool. So was it I, I assume you did investment rounds uh, for for the startup. Um, we are just starting to actually that's a oh wow. okay question.
0: yeah, we um, we have been bootstrapped to date up until about August of last year.
1: Impressive, um, man.
0: Thank you. We've been able to raise um, some capital, not a lot because we're actually prepping for a much wider national scale launch here coming up in Q2 of this year um and so we we are actually opening our seed rounds in a pretty aggressive manner coming up shortly
1: fantastic
0: yeah, yeah but uh,
1: that's what I was going to ask is is it um you, you know you, you mentioned Carrie's uh, podcast and one of the things that she talked about was from Hippo premium packaging one of the things she talked about was the difficulty of uh, the cannabis industry uh, not only in regulations, but also, also just just everything. Almost, it's it's like three, ten times harder to do anything in this industry. So, do you anticipate getting in uh, seed rounds investment? Do you anticipate that to be a challenge?
0: I would say yes, always. <laughs> it carries yeah. that wrong um, in that cannabis is overly complex. Uh, if, if anybody you know is paying attention to what's happening in New York, as an example, you know yeah. New York. Really initially was trying to sidestep some of the regulatory issues that happened and complexities that happened in California, which California is actively unwinding right now, but it's becoming just as complex. And that's just the nature of cannabis. You know, being able to take something that was an illicit drug, you know, a schedule one, and then right, try right. To, trying to regulate that on a state by state market just proves very difficult. And you know, we've been able to work our way through it. I think, you know, it is getting better with time, but it's not getting better fast enough for the industry to tr- truly mm. flourish. I think the well-capitalized brands are the ones that do well because they can right. afford some of those hiccups. Right. But right. Smaller brands like ours, when you have to absorb those costs and you ha- it's, and it's three, four times longer than it would in any other industry, it just, it takes a lot of capital. It takes a lot of resources.
1: Yeah, so you have to go and and do uh, get approvals and and everything in state by state right now, right? Because Absolutely. because of the federal mandate. So so what is your this Q two national launch? Tell tell us more about that. That's exciting, man.
0: I, I'm not going to share a lot, but what I will okay. say. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's um, you know I will just say hemp is a federally legal. Um, Plants that that can be infused in beverages, it has some of the, if not all of the benefits done correctly with, um, with cannabis. And so you see a lot of hemp derived CBD beverages, THCV beverages out on the marketplace.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and that is actually federally legal. And so we, we will be moving into that space.
1: Oh, very cool. Awesome. So a little bit of a, a little bit of a change up then. It is. It's
0: well. It's not. I wouldn't say change up. It's. It's something where you play along in a short game. Um, mm. you know, as you said, the complexities of having to open up operations on a state by state market is really capital intensive. Um, you know, we are not the first to go at this approach by any means. There, there are several brands and products that are great and on the market doing the same thing. Um, but you know, you can sell in forty-four states. Um, hemp derived beverages, right? And so your market, your consumer, um, your brand awareness is just that much greater when you when you can obviously sell in markets greater than one with every operation that you start.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So are you planning on doing uh, the CBD and the THC beverages in in other states uh, in short order as well?
0: Um, we're really focusing on the hemp
1: side, um, as well as kind
0: California side right now. Um, cool. they're, awesome. We're looking at additional markets, but you know, for a very small team, one uh, right. that you know we we feel very strongly and passionate about bringing something different to the table, yeah. from the yeah. other other product sets. Um, we want to really stay focused, get the wheels really turning, start to grow the market traction, get in front of the right consumers expand that reach more into the consumption
1: lounges and the hospitality that we started mm-hmm. um
0: you know that that is going to be our focus for the
1: foreseeable future cool so so in the California market right what's your what's your branding and marketing strategy are you is it just to get the product inside of the dispensaries are you doing any other branding and marketing outside of just getting inside the the, the dispensaries
0: um fanta- that's a fantastic question so you know in our focus areas, and part of the reason why I had shared earlier just about my personal journey and what, what we bring to the table as a team yeah. is hospitality. So, you know, we come from outside of the industry. Um, we are very good. Our, our team comes from retail, from hospitality, from, you know, Michelin star empires. We really know how to treat the consumer. We know how to have a great consumer experience with a brand. So a lot of our focus has to do with, you know, obviously supporting the dispensaries. We want to be good partners, but it is a highly focused um, aspect when it comes to more of the marketing the advertising and the consumer engagement so you know we want to find the relationships where we can really deep dive uh, deep dive with with each of those so consumption lounges those in-person experiences you know can we work with vip events and hospitality industries can we partner with chefs and mixologists that really help again amplify not only the
1: Maison bloom right. brand but right. cannabis beverage
0: as a whole
1: yeah very cool so, so uh, Nathan, you have years and years of experience as as founding companies, running companies, leading, managing people. Um, you transition a little bit out of the specific, you know, CBD and yeah. THC market. What's uh, what's kind of your secret sauce? What, what's what's been made you successful as a CEO and as a founder of a company? What are the kind of skill sets? Um, you know, I think. We we started
0: to touch on this a little bit earlier, um, mm. just around the passion and and mm. people say that, and I think they kind of throw the passion term around. Follow your passion, you'll always be successful. Pretend like you're not working for money. I don't believe any of that, to be honest. I, <laughs> um, to me, so what's it's well, interest, right? You know, interest. Yeah, it, it is. It is finding joy in whatever you're doing, and that doesn't mean you're always happy. It means what you are working on really fulfills you to a greater degree, and you're willing to persevere and find the path forward despite the obstacles. And I think that's really important because no matter what the business is that you're working on, in any industry, you're going to have challenges, right? Things aren't going to always go your way. And if you're not doing your day to day, your vision, building your team, building your culture, building your products, and you're not doing it in a way that brings you joy. It's going to be really hard and probably detrimental to your to your mental health to try and push your way through that.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting. It's it's because it's so it, so easy to start a business because of the financial opportunity versus something that is your passion. And when yeah. you're right, when you do hit those brick walls, it's a lot easier to walk away from it. So you mentioned. Culture a few times um, in our pre-session and even now. What what are some of the things that you do as you're building your companies to make sure that you have the right culture as you grow? There's, I, I
0: would say, first and foremost, it really is identifying almost from go what your true operating cultural pillars are. Um, you know, are you lifelong learners? Are you creating value in any partnership relationship that you are in are you set the bar higher for yourself and your teammates which means you're driving accountability and you have to look at yourself in the mirror um you know those cultural pillars are extremely important because when times do get tough you can actually go back to the culture document that you've created and say does this really match what i'm creating am i am i trying to strike up a partnership with somebody that really doesn't make sense and i'm just doing it for that monetary gain yeah, or that quick yeah. ROI right um because i have found um across several different industries that culture is the thing that really drives number one the best the best relationships in a business whether that is a partnership you know internal external or that is the internal relationships of the team that you're growing it also helps attract the right people because when you can really speak to those You bring in the people that share those same morals, those same ethics, those same values, and they want to be there versus just taking a paycheck, just doing it for a short-term gain for themselves, or let's face it, like maybe somebody just needs a job and they want a paycheck for a very short amount of time, and then they'll move on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, exactly right. The the CEOs, the focus on the culture are the ones that are going to do well versus the the strategies and tactics and, and things like that. Very cool. Um, Awesome. So just to, I think I had asked you in the pre thing, but if you were going to bring on a CEO to re- replace yourself and uh, you know, um, it, and either you're going to just, you know, be chairman of the board or whatever, but you're bringing in someone to replace yourself. What's the one book uh, that you would require he or she read uh, before they take over the position? And why is that? The context,
0: the, the additional context helped
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: bringing somebody else in. I So I, I'm i an avid reader. I actually uh-huh. get through probably 15 books a year now. Uh, most of nice. the, the self-development, personal growth space, because I, I truly believe you have to mm-hmm. raise the bar for yourself to be able to raise it for others. Um, two books popped up. One, okay. and, and I want to preface this because I do think reading is highly personal I I believe that the right book resonates with an individual in whatever season they are in. So sure. whatever period, whatever you're working on, whatever challenges you're trying Valid to overcome, point, right. The yeah. books are going to hit you in different ways. So one book that I think in the context of this conversation and, and bringing somebody else in is called uh, never split the difference by Chris boss. Love uh, that book,
1: man. I'm glad. Cause I was going to say, not best sales book that. ever.
0: Yes. Um, I think it's a really powerful beat. I read this book when I was really trying to work on my salesmanship, being yeah. able to articulate a message both, yes. you know, or for my culture, but also to the external partnerships that I have. And I, and what that book really showed me is how to, number one, be aware of yourself in any situation, right? Words do matter. Actions really matter. And you're, you have to think not only of yourself, but how's the other person responding to me? What are they really trying to gain out of the conversation? And so it brings that self awareness kind of full circle. So I always recommend that one. One, the second book that I am going to touch on is actually a Jordan Peterson book, 12 rules for life, his original one. Okay. Um, and I really like that one because that, that came to me in a moment where I was really trying to get back onto a path of, accountability, really, you know, working through some, some personal challenges, some business challenges, and really saying, how can I look in a mirror, be more, be more confident, everybody, everybody's figuring this stuff out, right? Nobody knows 100% of what they're doing, right? Yeah, totally. You know, how do you put your best foot forward? How do you learn? How do you adapt? How do you kind of push yourself and take responsibility for your own life? Um, And I, and I think those two books were really game changing for me last year in
1: particular. Very cool, man. I just uh, and for the audience too, if you have not read this book, I, I haven't read uh, the account of the Twelve Rules for Life, but I do love Jordan Peterson. I, I'm definitely going to put that on my list. But the the book that never split the difference. If that's something that your sales team uh, or yourself, if you haven't read it, so powerful. And and you're so right. Like the human, the psychology that goes into sales, it's astonishing. And and Chris Voss, he's actually he was actually an FBI hostage negotiator. Right? That's right. Yeah. And, and so he he was the guy. And before he got into it, he, he they, you know, their their hit rate, or not hit rate, but their success rate was abysmal. And then he went in utilizing these techniques that he learned from psychology. He like studied under people in Harvard or, you know, Yale, wherever, and, and he applied them. And I think he, you know, where everybody else would end up giving away like five million dollars to be able to get the hostage. I think he's like never paid a dollar and, yeah. and like never lost a hostage. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like
0: insane, it's, it's amazing the way he he talks about the book, and again, it was just him asking questions in slightly different ways, slightly right? GF. Totally. Instead totally. of I want, I need, it's this seems, or you know, yeah. what for you? What would you like? And it just again that that the power of the self awareness, the power of understanding yeah. every contact that you have is a two way relationship. It's not just you trying to drive the hardest bargain, you trying to get the best deal. It's what can I do for this other person? How can I solve them? But also what are they really thinking about? How, how can we get this across the finish line? Because everything is a negotiation, whether you like it or not, you're always going totally. to be throughout life in what you know, whether that's a marriage, whether that's a business relationship, <laughs> you talking to your kids, right? Everything is a negotiation. Uh, and I just I found that that book really applied to me in a number of different facets.
1: Everything, right? Yeah, it totally changes how you how you communicate even with your spouse and children. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Awesome, man. Well, hey Nathan, awesome to have you on the show. I just want to summarize a few of my takeaways. Um one is I, again, I want to really commend you and, and this concept of really sticking to something that you're passionate about. And you, you even said it a little bit later on that finding joy in whatever you're doing is so important because it'll push you through those obstacles and and you found yourself in the fashion industry um, lost your passion and you recognize that and you pivoted into something that, that you and your co-founders now had more passion, passion for. Um, and the other thing I, I think, you know, we didn't really hit on it, but y- you're able to pivot a little bit. I, I don't know if pivot was the right word, but you know, CBD and THC in California, and then pivoting a little bit towards hemp because the opportunities there and, 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 and I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for somebody that's going to take big and bold action, because it's real easy to to be comfortable. I've got this CBD, I've got this THC. We're just going to keep growing that. But 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 you saw an opportunity, and and it sounds like you guys are taking some big and bold action. You're having your first seed round, so hopefully hopefully somebody listening to this and we're you know we'll get to your contact information. If you guys want to invest in this company, these guys are solid people. I know I know that uh, that they're going to do amazing. And the other thing, you know, my my key takeaway was the culture. You know, really identifying your culture from day one and and sticking to it and 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 rechecking yourself, um, and of course the book. So, so Nathan, let me ask you: if there was uh, one takeaway that you would really want the audience to absorb, what would that be? Um, I I really think actually I'm going to use you
0: so something that you just said, um, which is pivoting. Yeah. So I I I actually don't think pivoting is the right word. Um, okay yeah the word that i use is transferable transferable and, love that you know, and and we go through life we learn different things in in various career positions different relationships there's always something that we capture there's always a learning that mm. we can then take and transfer that to the next thing that we're working on so life is always a connected journey right mm. most of us think about our our careers just potentially different segments unless you're working yeah. your way up in, in the corporate ladder but I've again I've been in construction, I've been in tech, I've worked in lab, I mean, chemical labs, I've been on petroleum uh platforms, you know, I've I've been in the cannabis industry in high level fashion. And so for me, it's always what are these transferable skills that I'm I'm really learning, I'm taking with me along my journey. Yeah. And then the next thing that I would say is, you know, think about just just using never split the difference as you know maybe the starting point where everything is a negotiation right mm. we what one of the things that i have really found that's valuable is typically when we get into business relationships it's always i need to get this out of this discussion i want the best mm. cost possible and we kind of force our thoughts and our opinions on somebody else. But what if we went in and said, listen, I need to get to this starting point. Mm. You know, this is going to be approachable being able to work with good partners who see value. Everybody gives a little bit in the negotiation, but there's some left for you for the next deal, for the next relationship for both parties to come back to the table. And so, you know, the, the, the saying of like, leave something on the table is a really powerful one because that is incentivizing for other people to do business with. You or to have a different relationship or to bring more the next time around. You're not always trying to do the best thing specifically for you. Um, so I think that is something that has really served for me well over my career.
1: That's awesome. So really approaching these situations from from a win win situation, and, and and not just about myself and what food do I get out of this or whatever. It, it's it's about how do we make this so that there's food for somebody else left on the table as That's well. That's right. And absolutely, carb, carving it eat. out very. You cool can yeah, I love that. I love that approach. And it's amazing. I, I really feel like, you know, if, if business, business five, 10 years ago was not that, or at least it wasn't like it is today, uh, it f- seems like more and more business leaders are approaching business from that standpoint. And, and we're all raising our conscious levels uh, one step at a time. So,
0: well, I mean, just yeah, exactly. And, you know, talking talking about culture, just bringing it back home, you know, one of the things that we do in Maison Bloom is we we set the bar high for ourselves. Mm. Um, and I don't say that in an egotistical way. I say that sure. because we want to operate with integrity. We want other yeah. people to know that when we are having a conversation, we're trying to bring value to to them as well. Um, and we can only influence other people if we be, we are being our best, better selves and our best yeah. selves. Yeah.
1: So, Very cool, man. Awesome. Well, awesome. Nathan, great to have you on the show. If any of our listeners or potential investors wanted to reach out and get a hold of you um, for any follow up questions or any questions on the on the podcast today, how could they do that? Absolutely. Um, I, I appreciate that. So um, I can be reached personally at
0: Nathan, N A T H A N, at avecbloom.com. That's A V E C B L O O M.com. Or you can find us on Instagram um, at Love Maison Bloom. Our website is lovemaisonbloom.com. So I can be
1: reached in any of those, any of those outlets. Very cool. And um, I I usually put uh, people's uh, LinkedIn um, handle on there as well. Is that okay?
0: That's, that's fantastic. Absolutely.
1: Perfect. And just for the audience, it'll be on the, uh, the, the, our website, but it's uh, N-D-J-O-H-N-S-O. That's correct. Yep. Got it. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, again, Nathan, thanks again for being on the show. It's so much great information. Um, For the audience, please hit like and subscribe and help us spread the word about the show and what we're doing here. And uh, with that, we'll see you on the next episode. Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate you. Thanks, Nathan. All right.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the High Performance CEO Podcast with your host, Patrick Rogers. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out our main website at patrickvrogers.com for much more valuable information and free
1: resources.